0: Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby and managing managing editor. Managing? What's a managing editor? Managing editor, Ross Binder, here on this episode, this post-game episode of Hotcast. Uh, go follow them on Twitter before we get started as well, at Adam underscore Jacoby, and, of course, at Ross WB. You can follow us on all of our socials, Go Iowa Awesome, on Instagram, at Twitter, and Facebook. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. Leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and, of course, you can always drop us a question with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as well. If you want to subscribe for our premium content, you can do that at iowa.rivals.com backslash. Subscribe. So now, like I said, post game pod coming off a 24 to 14 victory over Utah State today in Kinnick Stadium. We've got a few articles on the website that you can check out for free. So definitely go do that. But several things sticking out. And Adam, you wrote about one of them, Cade McNamara's debut as an Iowa Hawkeye. Share some of your uh, your your quick points and thoughts, not only from your article, but but just in general on on Cade today.
1: Well, I think everybody was pretty happy at the very least inside that locker room with how Cade's first start went. Uh, He came in at not 100%. He was officially listed as questionable. But having talked to Ferentz, having talked to Cade, having talked to anyone who had any sort of input on that situation, it was pretty clear that if he could go, he was going to go. And he did. And his stats are not overwhelming per se, but 17 for 30, 191 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, not for lack of trying on a couple attempts though. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not a perfect stat line by any stretch, but in terms of working out a lot of the kinks, in terms of finding out his ability to play through pain, not necessarily an injury at this point, because the only reason he's on the field is that he wasn't at risk of a re-injury. But being able to play through that, being able to play through the limitations in week one with essentially a brand new, other than Eric Hall, right, essentially a brand new set of teammates that he had never been in a game situation before outside of, you know, scrimmage practice and all that, you know, you can't really ask for a whole lot more especially in an offense like this, especially in circumstances like this. And, you know, against a defense and a coach who know what they're doing and came in really, really with their sights on pulling an upset Saturday.
0: Ross, how about you on Cade?
2: I was impressed. I mean, I was really happy with what I saw. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily the numbers, like Adam said, you know, they're not going to, Knock your socks off, necessarily, but I, I liked things like his demeanor. Like he seemed very calm, very poised uh, at all times, uh, even when there were, you know, the situation was difficult. If there was pressure, you know, he he didn't look rattled. He wasn't making bad decisions, and uh, I thought the touch on his passes and his placement was really impressive. Like he was putting the ball where you want it to be, where his receivers want it to be. You know, they're very catchable balls that he's throwing. Um, these are things that, all due respect to the quarterbacks was had the last few years, they were not able to do those things on a consistent basis. So having a quarterback that's able to do that now, I, I think that gives me a lot of optimism for what he can do and what the offense can do this season. You know, there are other reasons to have less optimism, but as far as Cade goes, I think that's – You know, we thought it was a really good pickup for Iowa in the offseason. And there's absolutely nothing you saw today that would lead you to think otherwise. Like it, he looks like a dramatic upgrade at the quarterback position and definitely someone that can lead this offense extremely well. So that was all a huge positive as far as I was concerned.
0: One thing that cannot go without saying first opening drive touchdown pass to start a season since 1991 the only one of the Kirk Ferentz era. So you have to be at least a little happy (laughs) with that. Uh, I don't think uh, some folks have heard Kinnick be as loud as it was on that touchdown pass to Seth Anderson. So it definitely erupted. That's for sure. And I I know us folks up in the, uh, in the press box were, were, uh, were, were pretty surprised by, by that play, let alone uh, a 36-yard touchdown pass to boot, and It was the first one of Cade's career, his first pass as a Hawkeye.
1: Adam. Everybody in the press box, except for one person, was surprised by that play. Not to toot my own horn anything, but I am going to toot my own horn. I happen to say that this year could be the year that they finally broke that ignominious streak. I I didn't know it was 33 years. I I would have figured Hayden had done it at least once or twice in his last decade or so. Um, But it seemed so overdue that for as much pessimism as you want to have about how wide open a Kirk Ferentz or Brian Ferentz offense could be even it at even at its most conservative they still do throw the ball so it, it was that sort of thing that if they're not doing it on purpose and Kirk Ferentz indicated after the game that breaking that streak wasn't on purpose either which would lead us to believe that they aren't keeping track of those historical things the way that I don't know people who sit on their couch and watch football for a living might uh it hello (laughs) three of us included uh it it was sort of overdue to be broken and especially with a quarterback like this especially with brand new weapons that he's been excited about since he stepped on the campus and since they stepped on the campus too it it made sense on some level even if a whole lot of things that might make sense don't ever happen. So I was I was honestly sort of happy to see it just for the sake of everybody involved not having to answer questions about that after today anymore too. So there's that.
0: You know, the other thing that happened and this is before the ball was even snapped was Iowa elected to receive. So they wanted to give their offense the ball right away and it was it was full go Let's give them the ball from the jump. Of course, Caleb Johnson had that 54 yard uh, return on the kickoff as well, which was a career high for him. They scored on that second drive. And, and I mean, I think everybody, whether uh, we were expecting that first 36 yard touchdown pass to happen on that first drive or not, I think everybody was a little shocked to see the Hawkeyes come out and score on those first two drives. But after that, Things definitely stalled a little bit. Now, Ross, what did you see in terms of why that stall happened and the offense kind of sputtered for the rest of that first half?
2: Yeah, well, it looked like just a lot of different things that just weren't clicking. Um, the offensive line, I think, was a big part of that, which we'll probably get to in a minute. But uh, they, you know, the the routes weren't quite there. That there's some drops. I think with. Cade's receivers that hurt on some plays. Uh, You know, there were just, I was an offense that if it gets behind schedule a little bit, you know, we've, we've seen it in the past that it's difficult to get back on schedule at times for that offense. And some bad plays on first down, that really torpedoed a few drives kind of from the jump. So I don't know if there was one, you know, overarching or, you know, one main issue. There were just a lot of smaller issues that really added up what do you think, Adam?
1: Yeah. The, the point about the drops, the nice thing is most of those were clumped up together. The bad part of that is any one of those three that we saw officially was only two, but there was the throw to Lachey that was counted as a drop. And I think that was sort of the worst throw of the three by far by McNamara. He, could have put it a little bit closer to Lachey's catching window. That was called a drop. Okay. Throws one over Reganey's shoulder to drop it into the basket. in An absolute dime of a throw. Reganey can't hang on to it. It's not called a drop for whatever reason. And it's a tough catch, right? It's, it's not sort of something that you would want to, Yank regaining for or anything like that. But it was, it was more or less a drop. It hit him in the hands and it was exactly where it needed to be. And then a throw to LaShawn Williams near the end of the half too. Again, a simple flare route, something that he could have scored on, hit him straight in the hands after leading him right to where he needed to be. And it's another incomplete pass. Any three of the, or any one of those three, and we're talking about a 21 to three, lead at the break, which is a little bit different than 17-3, to especially once you're saying, okay, this guy just threw for three touchdowns in the first half on a Kirk Ferentz team, which is like Oklahoma breaking triple digits in the first half, which they tried to do. Uh, So you sort of want to see a little bit more execution for the guys around McNamara, but at the same time, McNamara didn't spend a whole lot of time trying to do that to them. Elliot, you got something?
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was on the third drive when it was fourth and one and they had a turnover on downs as well. So very well could have been 28 to three at half.
1: It it really could have. And that was one of those breakdowns and blocking that happened a few times today, but also happened much less often than we saw last year, especially against tougher opponents. And Utah State's defensive front was showing a lot of looks. We, we were told after the game by the players that we talked to Utah state was showing a lot of defensive fronts and a lot of schemes and tactics that they just didn't prepare for because they had never seen on uh, film. So some of that is obviously with coaching changes that happen over there in Utah state. And some of it is because Blake Anderson's just a darn good coach who has a history of success and a history of putting together some really, really tough teams to play against. So I'm not terribly concerned about that because this was sort of Utah State's one opportunity to catch Iowa off guard a little bit, especially a program that does as much preparation work as this one does. They came close, but I don't think there's any opponent other than Utah State that's going to be able to take advantage of those very unique circumstances.
2: On that uh, fourth and one that where they got stuffed, do you think that's a play where they would have considered a QB sneak with McNamara if they felt better about his health?
1: It's possible. It's plausible. We, we, we don't know how they're going to use him in game situations like that when he's 100% healthy because they've just never really had that opportunity. Now, you might start to wonder about packages that sort of resemble Oklahoma's I forget what they called that package, but it was the one that Blake Bell, that 260 pound just behemoth of a dude. I think he threw the about bell, three passes that the belldozer.
2: That
1: the belldozer, yeah. But they're, oh, God. <laughs> did they call that did they call the whole package the belldozer? I don't know. But I, I do remember that nickname now that you mention it.
0: The Hilldozer. Throwing Deacon Hill, baby. <laughs> I
1: I wonder if tactically that makes a little bit of sense, especially with Cade essentially trying to play through rehab of a strained quad because that's going to be difficult. And like Kirk Ferentz mentioned after the game, they've tried to do something similar with CJ Bethard in years past. Obviously the, the uh, injuries are not apples to apples, but a quarterback trying to play through an injury that hasn't fully healed. You know, you can do it, you have to manage practice the same way. And it's it's gonna be interesting to see how well Iowa tries to manage McNamara's practice load when this is his first year in the program, first year playing with again, everybody except Eric all, and how he can build that rapport if he's not taking snaps and going full go at practice as much as possible. So that's going to be an interesting balance. I know that they really want to play for an Iowa State. I believe it. I, The games are going to be the most important thing. But how do you manage that? How do you manage practice? How do you manage his rehab all at the same time? It's going to be a really delicate balancing act, it looks like.
0: Ross, you mentioned Cade as, uh, as a quarterback sneak there. I'm, I'm puzzled initial, or as well by the fact that I'm pretty sure it was LaShawn Williams on that fourth and one, not Jazz Patterson, not Caleb Johnson. You're battering Ram of a third string and, and Jazz Patterson and Caleb Johnson who speaks for himself bigger than LaShawn Williams, just a couple things that are, that are odd. And then you throw in the fact that the run game didn't go the way they wanted it to because of the offense, like the offensive line didn't get what they wanted in the run game because of these different looks. So it's just a conglomeration of things kind of making that weird to where I think this game very, very easily could have blown up in the first half much more than it did. It was 17-6 to at half, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so,
1: 17-3.
0: Was it 17-3? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 you're right. So I, I, I think a couple things go their way, and it is 28-3 at half and, and potentially blows up even more. From then on, I think, do you think if it was 28-3 at half, they would have put Deacon Hill in? Start, second half?
2: I think Cade might have got one drive in the third quarter, uh, but I think we would have yeah. seen Deacon a lot a lot sooner than we did, definitely.
1: Yeah, we, you know, it, it might have been one of those situations where, sure, Cade's still in the game because you want him to keep building that rapport with uh, Logan Jones, his offensive line, and, you know, the guys around him, but... All he's doing is handing it off, like here you go, here you go, here you go, and and maybe he third. throws one on third down every now and then. But yeah, I don't think that his workload—if Iowa were up twenty-eight to three—at best he would have had the lightest workload of a third quarter of his life at that point.
0: Now, my question for you guys, and and I'll I'll start it off, but. My question for you guys here is, do you think it's it's more than what we were told regarding the offensive line? Is it more than their struggles uh, just trying to figure out what the opposing team's doing in, in the run game? Because they were okay in the pass game. I, I feel Cade praised him. He's, I mean, there were several passes where he was given time, like ridiculous amount of time to just stand back there and throw the ball several passes resulted in incomplete passes or well several passing attempts resulted in incomplete passes uh in in those circumstances so didn't love his decision making on a few of those but felt like he he rushed it a little bit but there's also i've seen some clips on twitter where the angles don't look great um from from some of these guys do we think that it has to do with the rotation, the fact that they're figuring that out. I definitely do. I, I didn't expect Tyler Ellsbury to come in and play right guard at all. Um, not not necessarily saying that it's all his fault by any means. Um, do, do we think Dejon Parker comes in and, and helps solidify things on that right side? Because the right side is really where it appeared to, to start, at least in my opinion, in terms of the offensive struggles. Not saying that the left side was perfect, but – there's a variety of things going on here. It's not just these defensive the, the the looks they're getting in the run game from the defense.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's always going to be that feeling out process with an offensive line once you get into gameplay. You know, these guys are going up against some really really tough tough competitors when they're going ones on ones, and even when they're going ones on twos. Iowa's twos on the defensive line are going to be as strong as most teams ones. That all said, when you're practicing against the same team, you start to learn their tendencies. And then you go up against a team like Utah state, where not only are you only just learning off a film, but you understand that the film is going to be of limited benefit. And it turns out that indeed the Aggies were showing a bunch of looks and a bunch of, stunts that they didn't really prepare for, know that they needed to prepare for one of those unknown unknowns to uh, quote a historical figure. So it's a bit of a unique circumstance and Iowa got away with it. It got away with, it's a little bit strong. They think they got the win that they wanted, even though that side of the offensive line didn't have its best day and, and the numbers bear it out. And I'm sure every one of them will, Tell us, especially on Tuesday, yeah, it wasn't our best day. But again, I, I think this was a week one thing, more than a, oh, the offensive line is still bad, everybody panic thing. Because when we talked to Logan Jones, he was he was very, very upbeat about the performance of the offensive line. And he said that there was the communication was so much better. They understand their roles so much better from their perspective. They did a lot better. And on some level, we have to trust that that's the case, even though the production still isn't where not only the fans don't want it to be there, but I'm sure the coaches don't want 36 rushes for 88 yards all told, you know, at the, at the end of any other day this season. And we probably won't see production that low unless they're going up against an absolutely monster defense. And there's going to be a couple of those on the schedule. But nobody seemed to panic about how the offensive line played. Kirk didn't even panic about it. They understand that there are some fixes. They understand that there are some changes to how they prepare that have to be put into place and pretty darn quick too, because Iowa state as pretty much everybody on this line knows will really, really get after you with that attacking front seven that they've got. It's, it's a very, very difficult that, that three, four is very difficult to know how to stop or to really get a push on consistently because they're using speed as well as strength. So we'll see how well they adjust to Iowa State's looks. We'll see how well they are able to use the week of film now that they've got uh, against UNI, which, uh, Elliot, I'm I'm still sorry for for how that game went. I know there there was a little bit of optimism when we saw that line get down to single digits.
0: (laughs) Too soon. Don't bring it up. I'm still hurting.
1: Yep. (laughs) But... If they're not going to panic and they are as intimately involved, obviously, you know, they're the ones playing the position, then, you know, at some point it sort of makes sense for fans to say, all right, well, well, we'll see what happens in week two. And that's really the mindset that everybody else in that locker room already has to begin with. So dwelling on week one while the team is getting ready for week two is... I'll say counterproductive.
2: You know, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I appreciate that. There's no sense of panic uh, from the players or coaches. I would be concerned if they were panicking in week one, honestly, but at the same time, you know, I think you also have to look at what they were trying to do in the third and fourth quarters and trying to run the ball and it wasn't working. It was not happening. Like in the fourth quarter, they go up 24 to six, they get the ball back And they're trying to run the ball. They're trying to eat clock and end that game. And they're not getting first downs. So, you know, that's not something – that's not a positive at all, obviously. So, you know, hopefully, you know, these are smaller fixes that they can, you know, solve in in practice this week and come out looking better against Iowa State.
1: Yeah, and the one thing I'll add is Utah State did – A pretty aggressive job of loading up the box in running situations and one thing that has sort of plagued Iowa especially in in the last couple years is sort of extreme tendencies and Elliot we we saw that play out uh, quite a few times during the game some other folks in the press box were talking about the the pretty infamous second and ten draw play and how many times did we see that play itself out just today alone and they knew that not because they were bugging practice or anything. It's because it's the exact same tendency that's been on display for the last couple of years. Well, Utah State knows that too. So the offensive line can improve, and it I'm, I'm sure it has improved. But on some level, basic math says eight guys trying to block ten defenders, you're, you're going to run into some problems, and you're really – asking your running back to make some plays and make some guys miss. And if they're getting into the backfield with some regularity, that's a tough ask. So we'll see how Iowa adjusts its tendencies, adjusts its game plan. This might be some galaxy, blue, galaxy brain rope dope that Brian <laughs> ference is pulling. Like, oh, Iowa State, we haven't adjusted a thing. What do you, are we you better not put ten in the box against us cuz we won't do anything about it that's probably not the case but the that week one vanilla playbook chess match is a cliche for a reason because it happens so we'll see what the iowa play calling if there's any change from this week to next week some of our more pessimistic readers and fans are say there's not a chance it changes and that's a pessimism that has been earned. We'll put it that way. But we know how much this game means to the team, the players, the coaches, everybody involved. Kirk sort of downplayed it in the post-game conference, but come on, it's a trophy. We know how much it matters. You don't, you know, this isn't our first time walking into those, uh, into that stadium. So we'll see whether or not it actually changes. I, I think we're going to see a little bit of that.
0: If Utah State knows it, Iowa State knows it, and if Iowa State, excuse me, Iowa State knows it, Penn State's gonna know it. And if Penn State knows it, you know, and so on and so forth so forth. Uh, with that said, I mean, it sure wouldn't hurt to see a, a slant cross middle on one of those. Have you ever heard of a, a, a what are those called? A, a shot play, Brian? I mean. Might as well when you got 10 in the box. And that's something that players referenced as well when we were talking about the run game as well as they they mentioned they were loading the box. And that's something about Cade McNamara that comes into play here is he's not going to be quiet when it comes to stuff like that going forward in the season. They're loading the box. We got to do something different. I fully expect Kate McNamara to be a leader and to be a, a guy that, that understands those situations and is willing to say something when it needs to be said. So that's, that's the, that's a Cade McNamara factor that you didn't have last year. I don't know that Spencer Petras didn't, I didn't have a bug <laughs> in the huddle like, like you mentioned last year, but that's something that I see Cade McNamara doing a little bit differently uh, this season. Now, defensively two names, kept coming up for pretty much everybody. Jay Higgins, 16 tackles in his debut and secondarily it's Deshaun Lee stepping up in the absence of Jamari Harris. Ross, I'll start with you. Either of these guys you more impressed with? Anybody else that I missed that sticks out to you? Thoughts on the defense?
2: I mean, I thought Higgins really stood out, especially in the first half. Like he was flying around the field and just seemed like he was a magnet for the ball. Like he was just all over Utah state uh, ball carriers, bringing them down, you know, great tackles, great energy. Uh, he got his hands on a, a pass, deflected it. Like he was, you know, I, everyone is wondering, Oh, how do you replace Jack Campbell? And I mean, you don't replace a guy that good necessarily, but Higgins looked really good out there and, you know, looked like he can give you a lot of what Campbell gave you. And, uh, and so I think you have to be really happy with how he performed. Um and Deshaun Lee too. Like you know, it's uh didn't expect him to start. He comes in and just does a phenomenal job, I thought. Uh, you know, for a first start, first appearance. You know, they're picking on him, they're targeting him, and he did not uh did not get burned, did not get flustered. You know, he had some good solid tackling, which you would expect out of a Phil Parker defensive back. They're always gonna be strong tacklers. And uh he held up, I thought, on the coverage side of things too. So I was uh, I was very happy with both of those guys, for sure.
1: Yeah, you, you say, how do you replace a guy like Jack Campbell? And you're right, the answer is you don't. But also, the the next man in, you would want him to be, I don't know, someone who spent the last four years learning from Jack Campbell. You know, you can't ask him to be the exact same player, and, and nobody on the staff has asked him to be the exact same player. And it would be a disservice to... Expect that out of him, but there are things that you can learn about how to play the position your way, and it's very clear, especially from talking to Jay and from seeing the way that he uh, commands the defense, the way that his teammates talk about him, uh, especially unprompted about his leadership and the way that he does it his way. There's a whole lot of trust for Jay Higgins in that locker room coaches and players alike and he has rewarded that trust pretty clearly not only in practice but especially here in week one look 16 tackles and the vast majority of them solo was it 13 or 14 of them solo tackles just him 12 i was okay so so he was just hopping onto some piles by the end of the game because it was (laughs) because his 10th tackle he was already at nine so you know if it's the fourth quarter, you just hop on over, put your finger on a guy. Oh, oh right. I get a half. I get a half. Uh, little, little middle linebacker humor there. Uh, that all said, he absolutely stepped into the role that a middle linebacker needs to have in a Phil Parker defense. So that's a credit to Campbell. That's a credit to Phil Parker. It's a credit to... Coach Wallace, and ultimately, obviously, it's a credit to Jay Higgins. So that bodes extremely well for the defense going forward. And like you mentioned, Sean Lee stepping into, he had mentioned that he had been practicing with the ones for a while. So I think that this suspension, the two-week suspension, didn't catch the coaches completely off guard. That said, it's his first game starting, and the guy on the other side of the field is Mr. All-American Cooper Dejean, which you throw at him and it, you're, you're putting your, your possession's life into your hands at that point. So you, you put somebody like that on the other side of the field, you know Lee's going to get thrown at over and over and over. And he welcomed the challenge, fed off that challenge, and really provided a nice example, a nice boost, emotional and otherwise, for that defense. They know that they can trust him. Just like they know that they can trust Jay, they can trust Cooper DeGene and everybody else. And when when a defensive unit knows that there is not a weak link behind them, they play more confidently, they make better plays because they're not trying to do two people's jobs. They're just doing theirs. And in a Phil Parker defense, when all 11 guys are playing their job, and only their job, they are cracking. And ultimately, you look at the stats for Utah State. I mean, yeah, giving up 14 points isn't quite what they wanted, but uh, Cooper is a Lega, right? Uh, 48 throws for 213 yards. All right, that's less than four and a half yards per attempt. That's pretty dismal. And even that had a little bit of garbage time padding at the very end. It it was even worse than that for the vast balance of the game. So Iowa made the Aggies work really, really, really hard for that yardage and it showed up on the scoreboard. And that's why this game, even though, you know, 10 points is not the margin that a whole lot of people up to and including betters would have wanted, but it was a win, and the game was just never really in doubt. The last 52 minutes of the game, Iowa was leading by double digits, and that's not really an accident.
2: Two other guys that stood out for me, too, were uh, Deontay Craig and uh, Xavier Wonka. They, you know, Wonka had the phenomenal interception, uh, just really great, read the ball, made a great diving catch. Uh, he left the game in the, what, the third or fourth quarter with uh, looked like cramping in the third quarter, but I thought he played quite well before that. And uh, I thought Deontay Craig, you know, he had a sack, he had some really good pressures. You know, I think that was, he was what we were wanting to see from that defensive line, you know, who was going to step up from the new faces who hadn't played as much. And he got the start and he was, you know, showing some of that disruption ability that we were hoping to see out of
0: that unit. Also, couple more names with Wampa out, Cohen Entringer came in. He's kind of a guy that can back up the strong and the free safety at that back end. He'll probably come in depending on if a situation like this happens or if that same situation happened to Quinn, he would have been in there as well. So I think he did a, a solid job. There were a few moments where that open, that, that middle of the field was open, but that's kind of just going to happen later in a game where it's that hot you're playing that type of defense. So I I have no misgivings about the way Cohen entering are played today, as well as Nick Jackson, who had to be split out into coverage multiple times based on this opposing offense as well, held his own, got some praise from Jay Higgins. Shocker. Those, those two guys uh, love to praise each other. And then lastly, Sebastian Castro, we basically didn't see any of Kyler Fisher today, uh, with the Leo, it was strictly the cash again, as a byproduct of this offense that they were facing. And there were several plays where Castro just blew through a block and made a tackle in the flats. That dude is a stud at that cash spot. Uh, he was really fun for me to watch today.
2: Yeah, he was. He had some really good plays. I, I was impressed with one sequence. I think it was later in the game, fourth. Might have been the fourth quarter where he actually he kind of had a bad play. He got out of position. But the very next play, he came back and went through, I think, two blockers to get the guy's uh, ankle and held him. And then Higgins came in and finished off the tackle to to stop the play. But, you know, that was just a great, great play. And and kind of showing that mindset you've got to have at defensive back where, you know, something bad happens. okay, but then you come back, forget it and make a really good play the next play. And that's exactly what he did. So and there were a lot more of those really good plays than, you know, just a small handful of not so good plays. So
0: we can't forget the uh, near pick six that Jay Higgins had. You should have heard him in that, that post game presser. If you haven't heard it, I've got a link to it on on my YouTube page. He was not happy with himself. <laughs> that would have been six. There was nothing but green in front of him. So it very well could have been a game where we saw it be 35-3 at half. With, with all of those different things said, obviously it wasn't. So we can't give the team too much credit, but there are – particular circumstances that had they gone Iowa's way, they would have definitely had more of a cushion in this one. Now, guys, I've said enough. I've said all I need to say about this one. Ready to move on to to Iowa State and to hate week. Is there anything you guys want to add before we get out of here on uh, this Saturday evening, Sunday morning?
1: Yeah, the one thing that I'll add is it's really easy to look at certain aspects of production, you know, the final score, the 10 point spread or or margin of victory and say, you know, this, this sort of falls short of expectations, you know, doesn't quite do it for me. And we have seen some Iowa teams have a little bit of a clunker in week one and then just turn out to be, you know, mediocre teams. It happens, but we've also seen Iowa need an absolute miracle to beat UNI with two consecutive block, pun, or, uh, block field goals. And that team ended up winning the Orange Bowl. So again, weird things happen in week one, especially when you're limited in the ways that you can prepare for an opponent. And when you've got an opposing coach like Blake Anderson, who is able to prepare a whole lot more for Iowa than the other way around. And some of that's a little bit self-inflicted with the tendencies that haven't really changed year to year. But let's not overreact to it. Let's see what happens in week two to see how much of this was week one, rust getting shaken off, and what is actually sort of a bigger, tougher-to-break limitation of the offense and its capabilities. You know, it, it could be the case that this offense still needs an another, another year to really, really gel. You would hope not. Fans would hope not. But it's it was reiterated to us by multiple players on this team. We haven't played games together before. And they're right. That said, you know, the Iowa fan base is not known for being particularly patient, and especially after the last couple of years and everything that's sort of gone on off the field with the coaches. We don't need to get into certain contractual things. But there isn't a huge reservoir of patience right now. But let's just see how the next couple weeks play out before we start throwing some dirt back on this offensive line. Because the people involved in that and and the people involved in other aspects of the offense and, and, and of that production, they don't seem all that worried yet. So that's all I'll add.
0: Drive for 325. I'll say it. I'm not scared. <laughs> just short today. Just short. Anyway, we'll wrap it up here. We appreciate you tuning into this episode of Hotcast brought to you by Iowa.rivals.com. If you're not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that today. Iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. We're going to be getting you a ton of recruiting content specifically as the fall goes forward. And coming off this weekend, especially a basketball official visitor, as well as some big-time recruits on campus for this weekend. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rate and review wherever you're listening. That helps us out a lot, and it makes us very happy. And you can always leave a question for us on Apple Podcasts or our premium board. Leave that five-star review on Apple Podcasts and just head over to that board. Drop a question whenever you have a moment, if you're a premium subscriber. For now, we'll see you next time.